is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Hi, everyone. It's Kayla, and I'm thrilled to introduce our guest host on the Thrive Podcast, Sharon Chung. Sharon's sharp and entrepreneurial mind has made waves in the Ottawa startup scene, and we are so excited to have her on the Thrive Podcast for women entrepreneurs for the next few weeks. Turn up the volume, tune in, and give it up for Sharon. You're listening to the Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision reality faster. The Thrive Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization supporting Canada's entrepreneurs to succeed. This podcast is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe to the Thrive community and make sure to subscribe to listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and SoundCloud. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast. Leave a review on iTunes for a chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible and your reviews will help get us there. I'm your host, Sharon Chung, creator and host of In Good Company, an online video series that makes those meaningful but often inaccessible conversations on life and career open and available to all. Welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have Medea Sheikh Hassan in our Startup Canada studio today. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Before I get into your bio, I'd love to learn more about yourself and if I'm pronouncing your name right, Medea? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and earlier, uh, you were saying that you were from the Ottawa area, and uh, have you have you been in this uh, this city for a while? Yeah. So my family moved here 11 years ago in 2009. Um, my family came from actually the northern part of Syria, but we grew up in Emirates, so we kind of got to explore, I guess, Middle East for a bit. Uh, then we moved here in 2009, and have been here for the past 11 years. Okay, and I'm sure parts of that have influenced uh, your the work that you do and a little bit of the project that we'll be talking about shortly. Absolutely, yeah. I think culture plays a, a huge role in what defines you and, and what you know values you have in life and what change you want to leave behind. Okay, so Medea, you've studied health sciences, biochemistry, chemical engineering, ooh, smarty pants, <laughs> uh, from the University of Ottawa. Uh, she's a co-founder 
the co-founder and CEO of Dextra Innovation, which uses 3D printing technology to provide affordable prosthetics to amputees living in refugee and poverty zones, as well as makerspace technology, training communities globally to scale up the production of affordable assistive technologies. She's also the manager of Maker Launch Program at the University of Ottawa that provides engineering students and recent alumni with support to fast track the commercialization of new technology and launch new technology startups. Medea was awarded the 2018 Queen's Young Leaders Award by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. She was also awarded the 2019 CBC Trailblazer Award and the 2019 Facebook Social Entrepreneurship Award for her work in Dextra. It just keeps going. I love it. Uh, Medea was also one of 145 youth accepted into the prestigious Graduate Fellowship Schwartzman Scholars Program Class 2021. Again, welcome to the show, Medea. Thank you very much. So, Medea, what's one thing that you want women entrepreneurs to take away from our conversation today? Um, you know, being a woman or someone from a visible minority is not really a disadvantage. Uh, you bring a new mindset and new thought to the table, so you should always look at uh, what makes you different than everyone as an advantage. So I think there are lots of champions and lots of supporters available around us all the time that we need to kind of approach them and ask them for help and support to help us in that journey. Um, so I would like anyone who's listening to this podcast to think of what makes them unique as an advantage to help them in their journey. I love it. Um, and uh, you were walking me through your, your personal life story before of, you know, your, your background. Um, how has that impacted, if at all, uh, your, your thoughts on projects and, and this uh, particular work that you're doing? I, I do believe your cultural you know, background, but also the way you would raise and what you value in your life and your identity is a huge part of who you are and the change that you want to leave behind. Um, so in my case, coming from, uh, you know, Middle East and some of my families were, you know, are struggling now with everything happening from the wars and refugees. Um, that's something that's always in the back of my mind. Uh, that's something that always, I hear that voice whisper in my mind telling me that I could have been in their place. Uh, so just knowing that no one is truly protected or immune from suffering makes me wonder, are we doing enough to be able to create sustainable change and be able to leverage technology and entrepreneurship to build changes that would last to, to many, many generations to come in the future? Mm. Um, a little off topic, but I was recently traveling in Cambodia for vacation. <laughs> so I have that vacay glow. Uh, but um, I, I went to a landmine museum and a war museum and really listened to the stories of the Khmer Rouge um, genocide that happened. And it's 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 really impactful to hear the lasting legacy and trauma that can come from um, any situation abroad or here. And and so you're right, like that, it could happen anywhere. You, it could, and and these folks were seeing, you know, uh, wartime devices and technologies in their backyard. So it, it can happen um, really anywhere. I'd, I'd like to kind of shift over to what Dextra's story is and, and where the idea came from and where it's going. Mm -hmm. um, so back when I went back to school for the second time because I had always so many ideas in my mind, I always wanted to do lots of things. I care a lot about healthcare and healthcare products, uh, but I care about the holistic approach to healthcare. Um, so when I went back to school to do a chemical engineering, as any you know bored youth would do, <laughs> 
I also come from family of engineers, so I knew what engineering is about and I knew that I can do it. So that also gave me an advantage. Um, I actually met my team at one of the events in one of the programs I used to manage. And that's when the whole refugee crisis started. And uh, with the help of many volunteers on campus, I was able to lead a refugee outreach program. We worked with many refugees, helped youth gain skill in science and technology. Uh, we helped adults start their own businesses. I helped many women be able to gain some skills at home and be able to actually have an income while being at home because many of them could not actually go out to find jobs because they had young children, some disabled children, who they could not leave them home. They cannot afford daycares or babysitters either. So understanding that huge, complex societal issues that impact someone was truly eye-opening. Uh, but then I became very aware of the um, challenges they face in refugee camps, but also when we talked to some of our family members who were still back in Syria, they would tell us about how it's almost impossible to see youth in the street without seeing physical trauma and, and body impairment. And uh, at that time, there was, you know, the whole idea of healthcare products being 3D printed was just emerging as an idea. And we all thought, of, should we try to kind of help refugees by giving them prosthetics um, that are affordable, that give them a basic movement, uh, basically to hold an object with their hand. And we did not think of it as a business or as something that we will continue to be honest. We just thought that there is a need. We had access to technology, the resources, the knowledge, and we could, you know, make a difference, especially that we understood that we came from a place of privilege, that we can still travel to other countries, we can still work with others, we can uh, train other communities to help them. Uh, so we started to kind of explore what we wanted to do. We worked with some remote clients. And then the amount of emails I received from people who want us to help them was beyond overwhelming. There is, you know, challenges with us being able to have enough money to be able to help them all. Challenges with travel. How would we even send the prosthetic for them? Some of us, we just need pictures of cer certain orientations to be able to do the online modeling that we do or the, you know, software-based design that we use. Um, but many of them did not even have cell phones. So there was all this kind of cycle of, of what can we do? And then we thought of, can we actually go to communities and we train youth just like us who have access to some sort of technology t so they can later on produce prosthetics or other devices? And that's what we have kind of shifted toward now. We still work with remote clients, but we actually think of going to communities and training locals so they could produce their own assistive devices. And that's what we have done actually at the end of 2019. We went to Ghana and we trained 17 youth uh, on producing uh, assistive technologies and devices. And we used prosthetic as our case study in training them because it's very complex and there's so many things you need to know about. But many of them told us that, you know, prosthetic is a huge thing and we want to work on it, but we have a lot more immediate issues in our communities. Um, for example, visual impairment in schools. The school system is not equipped to handle any visual impairment, which is a huge issue for youth in Ghana. Um, so we actually were like amazing. Now you identified an old problem. We empowered you with technology training and resources, but now you're the person who's gonna lead that change. So our partners on ground are actually working with them to coach them to help them throughout their journey. But to some extent, I feel like we were able to produce a change on the ground and be able to shift the thinking of some of the youth there so they do not wait for someone else to help them. They're, they're, they're available to basically produce that help locally. 
Medea, when it comes to startups or, or ideas, um, we often hear more of the success story behind it. And, and you've highlighted some real challenges here. What were some of the bigger challenges that you didn't expect or that took a little while to uh, overcome? So I think you truly do not know what you don't know when it comes to actually being able to launch a business and work globally. Um, to me, some of the challenges that I faced, they were not huge challenges or setbacks, but they were things I did not think about. And one of them, working with global organizations who live on a different time zones, trying to find a time that works for the two of you is almost mission impossible to some extent, especially that I had to had an online check-in with someone from Ghana, someone from England, and I'm in Canada. So to me, I had to be up for in the morning for roughly three months every day to be able to kind of check in everything I had to do. And that actually took a, a toll on my physical health because you need to sleep sometimes. Um, something else is actually being able to talk with your team members and being able to, to lead a certain project and be comfortable with your own leadership style was a challenge because I also come from a culture and, and the way society look at women is that you can be a leader, but you can't be someone to do X and Y in the same time. You have to choose one, but not the other. So to me, to actually be a friend with my co-founders and my team, but also be able to lead when, when you know it's time to actually lead and manage and delegate tasks was a slightly a challenge thing. But I noticed that when I opened up to them and I told them that I'm struggling with this idea, what should I do? They all gave me really good advice and we are still friends and we still work well together. Um, so those are some of the challenges that I faced. I mean, trying to raise money and, and have that you know continuous money flow to a business is always a challenge, I think, uh, regardless if you're small or big. Um, but being able to look at those challenges as more of, of small initiative that you need to hack and be able to prototype and design and test what have really helped me throughout the process and trying to bring my own scientific experiment, I guess, mindset to anything I do definitely helped me. Um, if we failed, like, okay, we now know what not to do for next time. We just moved on. Uh, that's, I guess, the mindset that we had throughout the times. And so what are those steps for prototyping and testing a technology? So it depends if you want to build, I guess, uh, hardware or software technology. Uh, but the idea always comes in is that you need to truly understand what the customer want, what the user want at the end of the day, and uh, be able to change and adapt as quickly as possible. So in our case, we start usually with a basic design. We research what need. We ask the person who's receiving the prosthetic, uh, what color do you prefer? What, how do you use the prosthetic? Uh, if, for example, if it's for a kid who want to go to school, the, probably the need for the hand movement is very, very different than someone in their 50s who have a job. So we need to understand what they want at the end of the day, and building that you know, user-based design experience itself is very crucial. Um, but then we start to really research the technology itself and be able to prototype and, and test it quickly. So because we use makerspaces, uh, that has basically 3D printers. Uh, it definitely helped us a lot with the prototyping process because our final product come from the makerspace itself, but our prototype also come from the makerspace. So what we do is that with 3D printers is that you have a plastic filament that is the ink of the printer to some extent, and the nozzle heated up, and then when you insert the file that you have designed in a language that the printer understand, it will print by adding one layer on top of the other. 
So if we are doing kind of a quick rapid prototyping, then the plastic will be much thicker and a lot faster in, in melting down versus if you want something that looks like a high-end product. So we definitely use the printers as a way to be able to produce prototypes in a much faster and cheaper approach. Uh, but so are the final products that we build. They're very affordable. And the fact that they're made in maker spaces, if a piece breaks down, we can just easily build it and fix it. Now, we're both in the Ottawa area today. Um, and you have a, ma- a maker space that has 3D printing accessible to you. For someone who's listening who might be interested in um, some kind of project relating to a 3D printer makerspace, what, what other resources are there out there? Exactly. So there are lots of makerspaces available in the city. The one that I have been using and still use till now is the Richard LeBay makerspace. It's actually based at the university. And uh, if you're a student from any program at the university, you can use it every day during the school year. If you're a community member, we actually have Sunday hours from 11 to 5 o'clock. We open up to the community. So anyone could just walk in and use uh, all the equipments we have that me- those equipments include 3D printers, laser cutters, Arduinos, virtual reality, soldering iron, even embroidery machines. Um, and it's actually free of charge for anyone. So we do not, uh, the makerspace itself doesn't really charge anyone any money to use uh, the equipment. It's, it's built on this idea that it is for community, um, to support community members. So anyone is welcome to kind of attend and use the makerspace. Might have to go make a uh, go out on a field trip <laughs> to a local makerspace. Medea, in reference to uh, the Ghanaian partnerships you were talking about earlier, I'm curious how you went about establishing global partnerships to grow your impact. Yeah, so in my case, um, I met my Ghanaian partner on ground basically when the two of us were in London. Uh, we both used technology to produce a lot more accessible uh life for other people. In his case, he used technology for visual impairment, in my case for amputation. Uh, But the two of us wanted to work together and and we applied for a joint funding that we received. Um, But working with any global organization or global partnership, it's really crucial to have an organization that you're going to work with, that you understand their operation, what they do, and you can actually trust them. Trust is something very, very crucial because if you work with you know, a developing country, for example, or that they don't have the same resources as you, there's a good chance they will be, for example, the recipient of the money, or they're the one who will get some of the benefit. Uh, The end users will be based in that place. So it's good to understand the culture they have, uh, the infrastructure they have. So in my case, I had to always have regular check-in to understand how do people live, uh, how does transportation, the technology, the infrastructure, everything was really, really crucial. Uh, understanding the day-to-day life for anyone who lives in that country is very important to be able to actually implement a, a global initiative. Um, in our case, we use to some extent advanced technology. So we absolutely do not take any technology with us. We try to understand what technologies they have and how can we use that technology. So trying to take a technology that they don't have, they're not used to it, it's more likely that if something breaks down, they're not going to know how to fix it. They're not going to know what to do with it. But if you work with something that they know or they have, especially if you work with a resourceful community, if anything breaks down, they can always fix it. They can always be self, you know, they do not need you to, whatever you want to do, it's not going to depend on you to some extent. So they become their own independent 
change makers. And you talked about the importance of trust between co-founders. I'd like to explore more about the relationship and the dynamic between you and your co-founder and how you found little techniques to uh, you know, thrive in, in, in this endeavor that you have. Absolutely. So one of the things we have done very early on is that we all sat down and we mapped our own personal uh, journey and our career goals as well. And we thought of what we're doing now, why are we doing it? Why are we spending so much time, energy and resources and sometimes almost all our weekend doing this? And we noticed that the two, all of us have um, the same goal in mind, the same approach, and we do it for the same reason. But we also have very different personalities, very different cultures, very different um, career goals in life. And we all mapped out individually how what we do with Dextra is going to help us achieve our goals in life, whatever that goal is. And we made sure that we will actually support each other in our journeys uh, and not try to you know, take away anything from that experience. So having an, a very open and trusting relationship is very crucial, but making sure that we have a very aligned missions and a very aligned goals in mind and very aligned kind of approach to the same challenges that we have. And we truly understand our strength and our weaknesses and how can we help each other. So I think we all have grown to be very comfortable with who is the best when we have a specific sort of problem and that person needs to lead it and then we are there to help and support. So understanding the fact that we call ourselves kind of chief everything officers because we all truly wear difference hat at different times at different challenges and being able to be flexible and willing to learn as you go have helped us a lot. Sounds like a very flat organization. Uh, I'm curious what advice you'd have for students or those who are on campus thinking of building a startup who might look at uh, a hierarchy like yours or just uh, your, your model for business as well. What advice you would have for them? So I think students are in the best, best place to be able to actually start a business because there's so much resources available on campus and off campus, and especially for youth. But even students who might not you know, classify as youth still have so much resources. Um, many professors on campus are experts or they used to have their own businesses and they, they led global change. So having that um, kind of mind they can access anytime they want. That's a huge advantage. But when I was in school, I was able to access so many competitions, so many events. Um, we raised more than $25,000 from pitching competitions on campus. And they're very easy to kind of access and they're open to all students. So there's so much kind of resources available, but there's also so many things happening that's really hard to navigate. So students should definitely put themselves out there and they should actively seek advice from everyone they meet and they should ask others for introduction um, to be able to help them, support them. I have crashed so many courses that I wasn't registered in them, but I knew that the topic they cover is very important to me. So I'd be like, I emailed the professors, can I attend that class? And they were like, absolutely. Uh, because I was in it to, to gain the knowledge that I don't have, especially that I come from a technical background. My business knowledge was close to nothing. So I had to always, you know, ask them for advice, ask them for help. And um, when they have any, you know, open to public events, I, I made sure that I attended everything as much as possible, which meant I had to do my school and homework as soon as possible. I received them because to be able to balance your school load, but also anything else you do on the side is really challenging. So being able to 
Um, I'm not sure if time management is the appropriate term because I'm not sure if I manage that thing. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's being able to understand what you will sacrifice for what gain uh, to help you achieve any goal you have in your mind. So you're talking about some of those uh, classes and programs that you use. What are some examples of the local, national, and global, global programs or organizations that you've been a part of and those who are listening should know about? So one of the organizations I truly love everything they do is uh, Canada Learning Code. They're based out of Toronto, but they do lots of events across the country. Uh, I made sure I attended all their Ladies Learning Code sessions, uh, even though I knew how to code, but actually being able to refresh your memory and learn new skills in coding and technical knowledge is very, very important. Even if you're not going to be the CTO of an organization, you need to understand what's happening the technology. And... Being able to understand how, for example, algorithm works, how the coding language works, programming languages, definitely help a lot. So that's an, a phenomenal resource to exist. Um, the, our makerspace, so the Shard Labay makerspace at the university is also a phenomenal resource available for everyone in the community. Um, Digital Opportunity Trust is an organization that I was part of for a while. Uh, they do also amazing programming for youth globally. Uh, they have also a huge global network that they can bring that global mindset to local communities. Um, I'm part of the Global Shapers community that's kind of the youth initiative of the World Economic Forum. So you get exposed to lots of um, global affairs and policy and, and global change makers as well, uh, especially that I am learning now that there's, it's hard to be in one field without actually understanding what's happening in other fields. So if you want to know how trade is affected with economy, with you know climate change, with global affairs, everything is really interconnected. So being able to build networks with different fields that's not your space is very, very important. Um, another resource that I use a lot is LinkedIn Learning. Uh, I'm really happy that I can access the platform for free through my job. Free is good, always. <laughs> I know. So all students in Ontario can actually um, use that platform for free um, and also you know, staff of higher education. So that's how I can access it. But they truly have lots of good content to help you learn everything you want. And I'm, I'm a huge believer that you can find any answer you want online. Everything exists. There's a huge online databases and libraries available for us. We just need to know where to look and actually spend time to be able to build our critical thinking skill to know what's a good resource and what's not a good resource. Um, so there's tons and tons of organizations out there that I probably cannot even think about right now. Um, but you just need to put yourself out there and be able to accept receiving knowledge from others. I totally am behind that everything is figure outable movement. Uh, as one last question, what, what's, what's one piece of advice for those who um, may be resourceful and may still may also believe that they can figure anything out, but just don't know where to start uh, with the idea that they have? Try to actually find people that you admire their work or they have accomplished something that you would like to accomplish one day and ask them for advice, ask them for help. Um, try to truly be able to put yourself out there and, and like face your worst fear possible. Because when you face something that you do not made you feel uncomfortable, that's when you truly grow. And um, I do believe that you need to spend some energy, time and money on improving yourself, your own skills and your own knowledge. So there's tons of books available. There's tons of resources available. You just need to spend the time and commit to that time to be able to know what to do next. And you can always reach out to anyone 
to help you out. And I remember reaching out to people that I never thought they would even reply back to me. But within like a few minutes, they said like, sure, let's meet and I'll help you out. I'm like, oh, phenomenal, amazing. <laughs> um, but just being able to put yourself out there and, and actually commit to spending the time and the energy to know about stuff, educate yourself as much as possible, try to get out of your comfort zone, um, and do not ever look at being a woman or young or someone of color as a disadvantage. Uh, if anything, many people have told me that you're still young, you don't know what you're doing in life. I'm like, very true, but at least I'm helping young people like me, so we're all gonna grow up together one day. <laughs> and uh, hopefully we'll help the younger generations in the future. Uh, so that's, I guess, the collective advice that will give to anyone. I love that so much, Medea. It's, it's been such a pleasure uh, spending time with you and getting to know you. Thank you so much for coming on our show today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a wonderful time. For those who uh, are listening and enjoy what this podcast is putting out there, tag us in your Instagram stories. Tell us how you're putting yourself out there, how you're getting uncomfortable, um, and, and uh, tag us on Twitter, social media, as in Instagram, Facebook, etc. We're here. We want to hear from you. And that's how we can grow this uh, podcast itself. Thanks for listening. And I'm signing off. Uh, this is Sharon Chap with Medea Sheikh Hassan. Thank you for joining us on this week's Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team. BDC and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook resources for women entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett and to plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Sharon Chung and it's time to thrive.